Welcome to Get World Savvy. This is a business and tech podcast on startup ecosystems around the world, the entrepreneurs innovating in global markets and predicting opportunities of the future. On Get World Savvy, we have fascinating conversations with some of the top leaders, disruptors, and creators in tech and tech-enabled businesses across industries and geographies. You'll learn about where the world is moving, growth strategies, and how that translates to your business and home market. I am your host, Ivy Shu. I previously worked in Silicon Valley and spent all of 2019 traveling to 16 emerging markets to interview tech leaders and to expand my playbook on building successful companies. I have no intention of stopping this journey and I can't wait to share all my learnings with you on this podcast. You can join the listener community based in over five continents and working in over 20 industries by going to getworldsavvy.com slash podcast. We hold weekly trainings on tangible skills that will help you scale your business and up-level your career, like digital marketing, how to partner with tech giants, moving from product management to entrepreneurship and back to product management, and developing web accessibility for your website for users with disabilities, just to name the trainings that are happening in May. You'll also get to connect and network with over 100 global leaders in tech. Welcome to episode 18. Today we are here with China marketing expert Olivia Plotnik. She is the VP of International Professional Women's Society in Shanghai, China, previously a manager in marketing and communications at Ogilvy Shanghai. After leaving Ogilvy last summer, she now runs her own marketing agency, helping companies scale their brands using social media in China. You can connect with Olivia in the Get World Savvy network or find her on LinkedIn, which is both linked in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Olivia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. I met you last year in Shanghai on my round the world trip. And back then you were working at a marketing agency, Ogilvy. What got you into Ogilvy China and what have you been working on since? Let's start with some background. Yeah, so I moved to China about five years ago. And I've been working in marketing communications. So I started out working for a smaller boutique agency, helping US and European brands adjust their digital strategy for the Chinese market. So we were doing websites, WeChat, Weibo, all that good stuff. And I was also involved in several nonprofit communities at the time as well. So helping them grow through their social media channels as well. And about two years in, I started working for Ogilvy China, doing a lot of their corporate communications for their China office. And last summer, so last July, I left Ogilvy and I started my own business in China, a small boutique agency focusing on social media marketing. Social media has always been a huge passion of mine and I discovered that I really love working with smaller brands, with startups, just because the ideas are so fresh. It's really inspirational and it's a really great challenge actually to work with a lot of these brands who don't have the budget of a big brand like Coca-Cola or Dove, something like this. So it really comes down to building content and building a really engaged community, which uh, I really, really love. So I've built a small team out of Shanghai and have been doing that all for almost a year now. 
right now we're speaking to an audience that is primarily not in China. Most of us use WeChat as a chat app to communicate with maybe relatives, friends, perhaps business partners in China. And I haven't found a really great way to fully explain to all my foreign friends all that WeChat is in the people's lives in China. Perhaps you can give that a shot. Like what exactly is WeChat to you? When I moved to China, it was in the first time was actually in 2012. So WeChat was just starting. I believe it launched in 2011. At the very core, WeChat is a messaging app. Like you said, you use it mainly to communicate with your friends and your family. So that's what it really started at. And its early functions were adding your contacts. You could scan a QR code, add somebody as a friend. You could shake your phone actually and you could add people around you so wechat grew very very quickly as a messaging app a few years in they actually gave brands the ability to create accounts on wechat so i think this is where wechat takes a really pivotal turn from being just a messaging app something like whatsapp into more of a, uh, a complex social media platform. So brands were able to create these official accounts and push content to their followers. This grew rapidly. WeChat then expanded into mobile payments. So this is another huge point in kind of the timeline of WeChat's history of where it becomes such an integral part of daily life. So now we have as a messaging app. It's a way for brands to communicate with their customers. And now it becomes a way for people to send money to each other, people to pay for things offline. So currently in China, if you go to any store, you go to Zara, H&M, or you just go to any fruit stand off of the street, you're going to pay with WeChat. I rarely ever carry cash on me. Um, pretty much all you need is your phone in China. Um, you'll, you'll never have cash on you. You can just pay with your WeChat. So WeChat really, I think with mobile payments became much more than a messaging and just a social media app. It, it really became a part of people's lives. And in 2018, WeChat launched what we call mini programs. So these are basically like a mini app within WeChat itself. And what's really great about them is their e-commerce ability. So currently in China, 95% of brands have an e-commerce mini program. So that gives you any idea of how integral uh, mini programs are to WeChat. That's a start. So basically WeChat becomes this messaging app a mobile payment, and almost like an entire website, all within one app. So to give you an idea of my, you know, day from morning to night, um, how I interact with WeChat in China, I will open it up in the morning, I'll check all my messages, both from friends and family, as well as work contacts. I will then check my moments feed, so this is kind of the social media part of it where people can post pictures, articles, things like this. You'll see all your contacts um, posts in a feed. Then you can actually go and you can order a taxi or you can get a shared bike by using a mini program within WeChat. 
you can order food within WeChat. Um, you would then, you know, pay for your taxi or your shared bike, get to the office. You could use a mini program to scan into your WeChat. Um, so you get the point here. Basically, everything that you do throughout throughout the day, you're involving WeChat. Um, throughout the day, you're going to have WeChat open on your desktop. You're going to be using it as a, a chatting app. Um, and you're going to continue paying for things, browsing for products um, throughout the day on your phone. So it's a very, very integrated part of daily life in China. I can't really, there's, there's not really a comparison, I think, uh, to Western apps that we have now. You can kind of say it's everything all rolled into one app. We call it like the Swiss army knife of apps. There's a really great photo taking, I think like 20 or 30 apps that we often use in Western markets. And there's an arrow just pointing to the WeChat logo. It's a really, really comprehensive, robust app with a lot of functionality. So with that, such a super app being a huge part of the Chinese eco ecosystem, from a brand or business perspective, how does WeChat fit into all the other channels, all the other apps and products out there? Is there any even room for them? <laughs> and particularly in how brands interact with consumers? Yeah. So I think many people assume that because there's no Facebook or Instagram and Google is blocked in China, the internet is very rudimentary. But in fact, you know, China is really leading the world in terms of mobile payment, live streaming, this convergence of social and e-commerce, like I mentioned with the, with the WeChat mini programs. And WeChat, of course, is a very popular channel. But there are many others. Douyin, which you've probably heard of, TikTok. It's the Chinese version of TikTok. There is Xiaohongshu. There is Bilibili, Kuaishou, Taobao, Tmall, Jindong, Weibo. I could continue to go on and on. But all these apps serve a very distinct purpose. And it's the same with WeChat. So... This kind of brings me to a point that China is a very context-rich culture. So in order to understand, you know, how all these apps fit into each other and why you need WeChat, but why you need so many other apps as well, is because Chinese consumers will have nearly double the amount of touch points with a brand before they make a purchase. So a touch point being any interaction that you have with a brand. And these touch points come in the form of branded content, uh, word of mouth recommendations, influencers, video content, platform recommendations, all sorts of things. So when we say China is really, you have to have an omni-channel strategy. That's what we mean. It's not just a buzzword. It's really a must in China. In fact, when I was working with Ogilvy China last year, we put out a report that actually said post-90s consumers in China, when they're shopping for luxury products, will have at least 15 touch points before they're purchasing. So they're looking at WeChat. They're looking at e-commerce sites like Tmall. They're going to offline shops. They're listening to influencers. So this is why brands really have to be a lot of places and they have to create a very seamless journey between all these different touch points. And that's where WeChat comes in quite heavily because you can create a really nice online to offline journey with WeChat. So 
I think you mentioned actually last week in your episode a little bit about QR codes and how you can be offline at a shop or an event and you can scan a QR code and you can enter into a little branded world on WeChat. So you can enter into their mini program where you can purchase a product or you can enter your information and then you become part of that 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 brand's crew or you you give your information to that brand basically. Just like in Instagram right now in, in the West, we talk about marketing's rule of seven, which is the seven touch points. That's really interesting that you mentioned that in China you need 15. So what exactly is the seamless process that you talk about that people use different channels and what role does WeChat play into this process? So it's not necessarily as seamless as many brands would like because there's a lot of different platforms. So WeChat is owned by the parent company Tencent and there's a lot of other popular platforms that are owned by different very big competing tech giants. So one of them is Alibaba, which owns Tmall and Taobao. Another one is ByteDance, which owns Douyin, or the Chinese version of TikTok. So basically, a customer journey might be somebody is browsing their WeChat moments, and they see an influencer, or as we call them in China, a KOL, a key opinion leader, they see their favorite influencer post about a product or do some sort of collaboration with a brand. They might then go search for that product on Taobao. So they're jumping out of the WeChat ecosystem and searching for that product in another app and they're looking at product reviews. They might then go to Xiaohongshu, which is almost like a like Like an Amazon review, interest, yeah, exactly. And they might look at product reviews on that. They might go visit the brand's offline shop. So as a brand, it can be really frustrating because you've got your customer journey, you can't pinpoint it yourself because you don't own a lot of that data, but you have to be very aware of what they might be doing on all these other platforms. They might then finally come back and make that purchase on WeChat using the WeChat mini program. So we find that a lot of purchases, especially with luxury, they might go visit the store, but they're actually making the purchase online through a WeChat mini program or you know through the brand's own e-commerce site. So WeChat becomes a very important, I think, interface in terms of when it comes to, you know, getting to know the product, hearing from the brand, making the purchase, and more significantly, aftercare. So WeChat, I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that WeChat is losing a little bit of its clout to platforms like Douyin. People are spending more time you know, on other social media platforms, other e-commerce platforms. But WeChat is actually still the channel that people in China prefer to hear from brands the most. So it is really the most significant relationship building app, like you were mentioning. And this is because users have specifically opted in to follow a brand. So they get a lot of their updates from the brand, a lot of information from the brand. A lot of brands provide pretty robust loyalty programs through WeChat as well. So that can be another great reason to actually, you know, keep your followers and retain them. And I think we might touch on this again, but 
you had mentioned the difference between what does it look like if you are a brand with a massive budget on WeChat and what does it look like if you are a brand with a very small budget on WeChat and, and kind of what does it look like in terms of relationship building? A very big brand will have the power and the budget to work with a lot of large scale influencers or KOLs. They can buy WeChat Moments ads. So in your feed, you can see up to two advertisements per day on WeChat. So they could have the opportunity to get seen through that. But as a smaller brand, you really have to use WeChat very, very differently. It's going to be very much about building out your community through great content um, and engaging that community through WeChat groups. So the strategy, it, it is a lot different and it's a lot more critical to produce really amazing content as a small brand. Going back to what you were saying about this tracking, that's what I was thinking about, how you mentioned that it is really difficult because so many different parent companies own the data that you can't possibly do something like you do in the West with Google Analytics, which tracks, you know, where a customer might come from. And then the purchase might just happen directly on your website if you're a D2C platform. And there's just less within this customer journey. So how is it done right now in China? Like where usually you would predict if I'm driving a lot of sales through WeChat or driving a lot of sales on Taobao, I should just be putting a lot more effort into there because every single platform already now offers live stream. They offer a lot of different marketing operations tools, but mm -hmm. from what you're saying is I can't just put all my eggs in one basket because the customer most likely touched my brand in multiple different ways before choosing their favorite platform to purchase on. So what's, what are best practices right now in going in and looking at this sea of sparse data? and tracking like what you should be doing more of or less of? Yes, I think it really comes down to knowing who you're trying to target and being, you know, I, this is a very common strategy everywhere, niching down, right? Um, except in China, it's a massive, massive market. You know, there's over 1.4 billion people in China. And I think, you know, a, a big mistake that a lot of brands make is they think, China's population is so huge. If I get 1% of the population, I'm going to be doing amazing. So, you know, we can just cast this huge net. Hope shoot it our speaks to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Hope it speaks to someone. But like you just mentioned, it's a very good point that because there's so many different platforms and there's so many different touch points that a consumer can have, you're going to be wasting a massive amount of money and time if you just go with that strategy. And so you really have to know, okay, who is my target audience? And it comes down to not only just age, what, the, what industry they're working in, their, their basic profile, it comes down to what tier city are they living on? That's going to impact what e-commerce platform is going to impact, you know, where they spend a lot of time watching live streams. So there's going to be different channels for social and for e-commerce for every single different demographic. And I feel that this is really different from in the West where there's, there's Amazon or you have a brand's own e-commerce pages. There's not so many different options depending on like where you live or what your economic status is. But 
in China, there are so many different platforms and there's so many different opportunities that you have as a brand to reach out to people. So you really, really have to know who your target audience is. And this is a huge mistake that I see brands make all the time. I get a lot of inquiries on LinkedIn of people saying, we want to launch on WeChat. And because they've heard of WeChat, they just think we're going to open an account and start publishing content and people are going to find us. And they have no idea, you know, who their target audience is. They'd say, okay, we want millennials age 18 to 25. You're going to waste a lot of money and a lot of time because the reality is, is China is incredibly expensive. It's incredibly complex. And it is certainly not for every brand. There's a lot of opportunity, but it's, it's definitely not for everybody. Let's talk about what are some features on WeChat that people should know more about that plays that important functionality in the funnel for whether it's awareness, attraction, nurturing, and taking them down this journey, and then ultimately the conversion of mm-hmm. a sale of a product or service. So I think... It's important to acknowledge that WeChat is a really difficult channel to grow on. Um, There's not a whole lot of like bells and whistles on WeChat. You know, if you go into the WeChat backend, it's a very, very basic user interface within a WeChat post. There's, you know, really not that many, you can wow the post or you can click read more. There's not a whole host of features as you have on like Instagram or Facebook or something like LinkedIn, but there are several things that you can do to kind of boost your discoverability. Why WeChat is such a difficult platform for a lot of brands is because it's so hard to get discovered. Mm -hmm. So when we work with a lot of brands, we actually have them encourage people to wow their content. So this is a feature that was just released, I think, last year. So it's not incredibly old. It's it's still relatively new. And before this, WeChat was a very closed ecosystem. So you could see the content that you opted into of the brands that you follow. You could see content that your friends posted on their moments. But that's really it. It's, It's not a very great content discovery platform. With top stories being released about a year ago, this changed a little bit. So now if I read a WeChat article from a brand and I go to the bottom of the post and I click wow, which is kind of like a a like basically, that article then gets put into top stories for all of my contacts. So people that I have a connection with on WeChat, they're going to see that I wowed this content. And this means, you know, this was content that I enjoyed or that I liked. And so they're probably going to click into it too. A lot of times people, it's very difficult to get people to share a post on their moments just because WeChat has become a place where you're connected not only to your friends, but to all your family members, coworkers, um, you know, your business contacts. So it's going to be a hard platform to get people to share things so openly. However, when you wow something, it's a little bit more inconspicuous. And that has been a really great way for us to actually get content discovered. So we have clients, you know, who just launched on WeChat about six months ago, 
and they receive messages every month from new customers actually saying that they found them through their top stories. So it's been a really great kind of hack to get people discovered. Yeah, I actually met a lot of people when I was in China because I created an official account myself to write some content in Chinese to practice Chinese. I think I pumped out all of like three articles, but definitely met a lot of people that way just from my existing network, sharing it on top stories, not sharing it, just wowing. Exactly. Yeah, it's a really important feature. And I think it's underestimated actually by a lot of brands. Um, So, you know, clever ways to get people to wow your article, I think are really important. Another, I don't know if it's so much of like a feature, but what I find really interesting is the growing importance of WeChat groups. Within WeChat, you know, I think similar to WhatsApp, you can have a group of 500 people. Those 500 people don't need to be connected to each other. They can be completely random strangers, um, but they have all been added into this group by at least one person in common. And what brands are starting to do, actually this is a really super interesting strategy, I think, is that they're starting to really build communities within these WeChat groups. So there's a Chinese um, cosmetic brand called Perfect Diary. And what they actually do is um, you can access their group through their menu or through a product. So let's say I purchase a product, it gets sent to me and there's a QR code on the product. If I, and it says, you know, add um, like the name, Xiaowanzi is the name, and um, you can add her and as a a personal contact on WeChat. And she will start talking to you. So she'll start chatting with you and she'll send you a little coupon for the brand. And then she'll actually invite you to join one of their groups. I'm assuming they have hundreds, if not thousands of these WeChat groups that they're nurturing. So she'll add you into this group and they'll introduce new group members to everybody and they'll start introducing like promotions or information about products or they'll send through information that they're having a live stream they'll just send through a lot of like fun or relevant content and promotions as well so you're having a direct line of communication with the brand um, and with other people interested in the same product and i think I can compare it almost to like a Facebook group is the best kind of comparison I can think to make in the West. So for a lot of these smaller brands, um, of course, you're not going to have the resources and the capability to have like this bot or even real person managing all these different hundreds of WeChat groups. But one thing that we've been trying with some of our brands is pushing out um, really valuable content, really on-topic content in these WeChat groups. So engaging people and then once in a while pushing either a promotion or content from the brand into these WeChat groups. These WeChat groups being your own WeChat groups or? Exactly. So uh, a brand-owned WeChat group. So you can say it's pretty much the closest thing like to private traffic that you're going to have in Mm -hmm. China. And so they're pushing out content to them. And we find that, you know, a lot of people in these groups might not even be following the brand's official account because you have to realize 
there's a lot of official accounts out there. And, you know, I think there's probably like over 20 million at this point, but the average user on WeChat only follows about 20 official accounts. That's very, very few when you think about the number of brands out there. So people are really selective in the brands that they follow. But within these WeChat groups, you can still send them your articles and your content. Um, so even if they're not following you, when you send them content within the group, they're reading that, actually they're converting on it. Um, so it's a really important channel to have. And as a small brand, I say to our clients when they first start, you have to create a WeChat group, both your own and you have to be posting in other appropriate WeChat groups as well. So that's a huge, huge part of a growth strategy on WeChat is leveraging these groups. So it does seem very similar to like a Facebook group strategy. I know that a lot of brands, coaches, service providers all have their own Facebook groups. But on WeChat, I think everyone's in a lot of groups. <laughs> yes, they might not be as selective as following official accounts, perhaps, because there's separate man, uh, messages from official accounts, but how do you make sure that like your messages are read? Because everyone has at least 500 plus unread messages, usually from groups. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. So within WeChat groups, you can actually do like a little at all. So someone, even if they've muted their notifications, they will get a little um, red dot in their chat that there are new messages to read. Of course, there's no way to track if everybody in the, the WeChat group is reading all of those messages. You can only track if somebody has clicked in to open or read your article. Um, but, you know, we do find that when, um, when an article is published from an official account, we have tested out, you know, waiting a day before we share it into WeChat groups. And we find that the open rate from the official account even if the brand has like 5,000 followers, you know, we might get like a 20% open rate, which is still pretty good for some of them. But when we share that article into WeChat groups, we're getting double, triple that open rate. So people are really going through their WeChat groups. I think it's a lot more elective, like you are in WeChat groups for a very specific purpose and you can leave, you know, you can unfollow very easily. There's a lot more, I think, of a social element being in a WeChat group. So you're seeing other people have a conversation around the content which is shared. So it's more of a like a community element mm -hmm. to the content, which I think happens, you know, in Facebook groups as well. So there's a little bit more incentive to click into the content and see what people are talking about. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Can you talk more about some brands that are doing really well in China and what their strategies are like? Yeah. So um, one of the brands actually that I really love is called Hey Tea. It's a tea brand. Yeah. Yeah. They put out really, really well done content, really beautifully done content on WeChat. So their graphics are amazing. They tell incredible stories. And they actually did recently a really cool collaboration with Fenty Beauty. So Fenty just launched, uh, they just launched their store on Tmall recently, but they launched in China, I want to say it's been less than a year. But Fenty Beauty collaborated with Haiti to make a very special, like, 
competition for users. So they launched it on Weibo and WeChat and they developed like a, a special pouch for users. So Fenty released their blush, like a new cream blush. Um, and one of them was like a peach color. So Hey Tea did a whole thing around their new peach tea. So Hey Tea and Fenty Beauty have these two products together and users can, you know, take photos with both of those products and win a collaboration or win a, a prize. And I think this is a really important, it's a very not, I think in the West, you don't see these types of collaborations. Oh, but there's so a often. lot in China. Yeah, a lot there's of cross-industry. So yeah, and you see like, I think the Forbidden City did a collaboration. Lipstick, with, right? Yeah, with lipstick. And they also did one, I think, with Oreo. So Oreo built a whole entire Forbidden City out of like mini Oreos. There's a lot of these foreign brands who collaborate with Chinese brands, not in their same category. And it goes over, it can be very bizarre, but it can go over really, really well. And I think this is a strategy that a lot of foreign brands have latched onto because they see how well and actually how creative some of these Chinese brands can be. And they kind of ride that wave to get in uh, a little bit on, on that visibility with them. So this was a great one. There was a really good one, a really famous one done with MAC Cosmetics. And I think Honor of Kings, a gaming one done, which was really cool. Another brand that I always mention and love to talk about on WeChat is Nike. So Nike has done, you know, a really incredible job with their communications in China doing really great campaigns, you know, really great video content. Their WeChat content is always really nice. They create a lot of different types of stories on WeChat. So they do, you know, actual photos and video shoots, but they also do a lot of illustrations. You can really tell that they're not afraid to be very, very creative and their content has been created in China. You know, I see brands who they're so clearly copying what they have on Instagram and Facebook from their Western social media and just plopping it into a WeChat post. And this doesn't work. I mean, they, they have like a hundred reads on average. You know, one of the brands I can speak to is um, Nude Sticks, which is a pretty popular yeah. cosmetics brand in the West. And they've been in China for a while, I think, over definitely over a year ago i've seen them um, in sephora stores in china but you look at their wechat channel and it is clearly taking some photos from their instagram with a little bit of text and they have 30 reads on the post so this is a very clear example of number one if you're a foreign brand but you don't know how to communicate or how to be creative in China, people are not going to pay attention to you. And you can't just copy and paste your Western strategy. It's not going to work in China. Can you give an example of, I guess, a content piece that's considered creative? Because in the West, you are always taught to kind of find out what your potential customers' objections might be, like what type of content they might like that might be useful to them based on their personas. Is this something different in China? I think you, you would still, obviously, you're still, it's still the same basic principles of marketing. You know, you're still trying to create 
something that is of high value, something that's going to be very, very useful for them. So to give you an example of some of the best performing content that we've created for brands has been very value driven. So while it's a B2C brand, you know, they're selling products, they're selling like products with sustainable solutions. So like bamboo toothbrushes or shampoo blocks, things like this. But what we've done with their content is really create a very value-driven platform. So giving people information on how they can live more sustainably, live more healthy. And it's really not so much focused on the products at all, but really focused on providing value to the customer, which is, you know, a very, I think, universal marketing principle. I think when we talk about creativity in China for a long time, there is a perception that China is not creative or people in China can't think outside the box, can't come up with these very creative campaigns. You know, especially within the last five years, this is this has changed so drastically. We've seen some amazing campaigns come out of China. One of my favorites is definitely from Apple. Every year they do a really great Chinese New Year campaign a couple of years ago was one about that touched upon Chinese New Year travel, which is a huge theme, as well as this idea of the left behind children. So there's a lot of children in China whose parents move into the cities to work, touched on the education system. So it was very, very rooted in Chinese culture, told a beautiful, really touching story. You can tell that that content, it didn't originate from a Western market. It was created by Chinese creatives in China and really spoke to the culture. So I think we're seeing, and with these brand collaborations as well, like we were talking about, that is really actually pretty creative and really amazing. You know, we're not really seeing that in the West. These brands are going way out of left field and collaborating with something that is so far out of their industry. I think another one that comes to mind is a really great one from Perfect Diary, again, the cosmetics brand. They collaborated. There's a very famous KOL influencer who sells a lot of lipsticks. So he does a lot of live streaming about lipsticks. His name is Austin Lee. And he has a dog who sometimes comes on his show. And Perfect Diary collaborated with his dog and made a whole like eyeshadow and lipstick palette with this famous influencer's dog all over it and and they collaborated to launch it with and it was wildly successful. So just things like this that I think are incredibly creative and and people, a lot of marketers in the West, I don't think have given China the credit for being so creative for a long time, but I think now is the time, you know, to really look to China for these types of ideas. Yeah, definitely getting very inspired. I've been keeping track with a lot of collaborations from like ice cream and beauty. And then I remember I was there. There was a little lobster clamfish things who need a face mask and one with Xiaolongbao, XLC, right? And face mask. And I'm just like, I feel like I might just get a face full of oil. (laughs) This doesn't really draw me (laughs) to want to wear a face mask that's shaped like a bow. Not so great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely saw a lot of those when I was in China last year too. Okay. As a final question, I'd love to hear your thoughts in drawing a parallel between what we can learn about relationship building and doing business from WeChat 
and then applying it to other platforms in the West, like LinkedIn and Instagram or Facebook. And I know that you're a super user of LinkedIn as well. Do you see any like comparisons and ideas that you've taken from China? Mm -hmm. So I think what WeChat has taught me is that above all, content really matters. And I've seen this on LinkedIn as well. You know, it's, it's not so much about what time you post or the size of your audience. If it's really good content, people will interact with it. People will share it. People will want to follow you for more. So a lot of times I think marketers get very caught up in thinking about, okay, what hashtags am I going to use? Or what exactly, you know, what time am I going to post? Or how many posts, you know, if I'm, I'm going to do a post every single day this week. Of course, I think all of that plays a part, but some of the best performing content, and I think some of the best reactions and basically return on all the work that we've done is content that has been truly value driven and come from a place of really putting the customer first like is this going to make a difference in the person who's reading its life like is this going to help them immediately solve a problem is this going to give them kind of like an aha moment um, and then it doesn't really matter what time you post that content on because people are going to be sharing it you know constantly over, over different times so, you know, WeChat has taught me this and I've definitely seen this principle on LinkedIn as well. I ran an experiment at the end of last year. I posted on LinkedIn every single day for 50 days and some of the content was totally awful. Like it was just stupid content, but it was just trying to fill that everyday slot and found that actually some of the content, even though it was, um, posted at a weird time or, um, you know, it didn't have all these elements that, that we tried to, you know, tick the box off on. It was very value driven and people reacted to it. Um, and I think the other important part of that is that you need to be, the other part of providing really valuable content is that you are not going to necessarily grow as fast. So what I mean by this is, um, a lot of times some brands will want to do very heavy promotional um, activities on a certain piece of content to get people to follow or to get people to share it. And when you're doing this, the quality of followers that you're going to get is definitely not as high. So we see this with WeChat where let's say we as a brand put out a piece of content and say, share this to um, 10 people and you know we'll give you each a chance to win something let's say you get five of those people to follow the account the next time that you make a post the likelihood of those people then unfollowing your account is pretty high so you've not really gained much it's just quite a vanity metric the same with linkedin you can write a piece of content that gets you know 30,000, 50,000 impressions and views or like 200 comments, but that's not going to get you any business leads. So I've had some of my best, best performing posts on LinkedIn, you know, the ones with the most impressions and the most comments, those did nothing, you know, 
to get me any leads or any business, but some of the posts with the least amount of views or least amount of comments have turned into actually paying clients for me. So it really comes down to value-driven content is the most important and it's often the hardest to do, right? Because you're not growing as fast, you're not getting as much visibility, it's not performing as best, but for a long-term strategy, it's really the most important thing. Yeah, like head down, focus on who you're meant to serve. That makes exactly. a lot of sense. Well, that's the end of the interview. Thank you so much, Olivia. Yeah, thank you for having me on.